Do you want to reach your next level in business and health? Do you need help unlocking your potential and taking action? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Empowered Life Podcast, a podcast that empowers women to change physically, emotionally, and financially, and to live a life they love. Now, here's your host, Lisa Pizek. Hello and welcome to my newest episode of The Empowered Life. Lisa Pizek here. And I'm so excited about this episode today because, man, are we in for a good one here with my friend Alex. Alex Cooley is a coach. He's an author. He's a public speaker. And he's recognized quite internationally. Alex, I know you just got back from traveling to many, many parts of this amazing world doing this great work that you do in leadership development, leadership and business coaching, positive psychology, mental health, and mind and body wellness. So you do a little bit of everything. And your expertise has been demanded across the globe, which is why you travel so darn much, right? And um, recently you wrote a foreword in a book about fear. And you say that your stance is not about facing your fears, but utilizing the emotion to achieve your optimal potential. And that is exactly what I want to chat with you today about fear and moving and and just moving, getting out of that fear mindset because so many of us experience that in so many areas of our life. So first, let me just say welcome and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Yeah. So let's dig in because I know this is something that whether people want to acknowledge it or not talk about it or not, at some point in our life, we all fear, feel some sort of fear in our life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know a big one that many people don't come out right and say, but it comes up in the conversation of why people get so stuck in their life, stuck in a health and fitness goal, stuck in a business goal, you know, stuck in just wanting to make a change, but they're like, I can't do it. And I think a lot of it is a fear of judgment. And this world is kind of judgy, if I can speak openly and say, now with social media and so many outlets and things that we have and the craziness going on in the world, there is a lot of biases and judgment and people trying to one-up each other and just craziness going on. So talk to me a little bit about overcoming that fear of judgment when you really want to go after something, but you're like, oh, I can't because I'm going to be judged and I'm going to look silly. So where do you think that stems from and what can we do about that? I I think the question about where it stems from is probably the most important question you can ask in relation to fear. So I I will pre-warn you that as you've had the experience of of interviewing others, when somebody's really excited and passionate about things, they can kind of go on forever and ever and ever and go deeper and deeper. Uh, And I'm thinking of John Sottery in in the last (laughs) week. So please feel free to interrupt and say, shut up a minute, Alex, if you want to kind of ask anything. (laughs) But I think the starting point always is, where does fear come from? Why do we feel fear? What's the point of it? Um, And it basically tracks through our evolutionary process. So as human beings evolved, we, to talk about fear, to talk about anxiety, even anger, frustration, really is not useful in this discussion. What we're talking about is negative emotions versus positive emotions. Uh, and you, even in different cultures, um, we, we have different ways of describing those concepts. 
So really there's good feelings and bad feelings. That, that's what we've got. And as we evolved, <clears throat> with the, the, the negative feelings had a purpose. Uh, and the purpose was to keep us safe. It was to protect us as we were at risk from predatory animals. So as you know, human beings, we were never the fastest animal on the planet. Right. We didn't have the biggest teeth. We didn't have the biggest claws. What we had was, was the ability to remember and recall where danger was. So our brain evolved to do exactly that. As we wandered around, it was useful to remember where those luscious berries were. We could come back the next day, find them and eat them. But if we didn't recall where the lion or the tiger was, we wouldn't have a next day. We wouldn't be able to come back. So our brain gives bias to negative emotional experience for that reason. So as you recall anything negative, it, it's more deeply ingrained in your brain. You remember it for longer. It feels more intense. And it all had that purpose of, of keeping you safe. And then it gets worse because the brain does some weird stuff with all of this. So when, if I ask you right now to think about a negative experience in your life, something that was really, really unpleasant, you have both a physiological and a psychological response to that. So your heart rate goes up, your, your pulse will start to race, your, your blood pressure will race, your, your peripheral vision will really narrow down so you actually can see less. And, and the reason for that was if if this lion was going to jump out at you, you didn't need to be looking at the pretty butterfly. You needed to focus on the, the lion. So your, your whole body is starting to respond to this. And this is what people sometimes call fight and flight. Mm-hmm. And it, it's actually not fight and flight. That, that's wrong. It's fight, flight, or freeze. So when you get extremely frightened, you freeze. You can't fight or flee. You're, you're left with the, the, just the frozen moment. <clears throat> and again, we've all experienced that where we're really frightened and you just can't respond to anything. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to keep going, but I did warn you that I will talk a lot about this. So, um, <laughs> I have some thoughts, but I want to hear you're in a good flow. So keep going, keep going. Excellent. So, so that's your, your bodily responses, but your brain also responds to, to fear. And it, it starts to narrow down again. It, it's needed to focus on the, the problem that as it sees things. And that's what it does. It starts to see things as a problem, not, a, not as an opportunity, ah. not as a learning opportunity, but risk, danger, etc. So you can't at that point take on new information. You can't see new things that you could possibly learn. All of that made sense when we were evolving. Mm-hmm. It, it kept us, as I, as I keep repeatedly saying, it was about keeping us safe. But our brain hasn't moved on in our current circumstances. And it still responds to very slight little things like that. So if you look at earlier, uh, just before we started this, you and I had a conversation about people's fear of terrorism. Mm -hmm. And you would think that that would be the biggest fear that was prevalent in our society right now, but it's not. Up until about four years ago, the biggest fear was public speaking. People said, they were terrified of public speaking. And that's changed now. So there's a, now a new number one, which is being unfriended on Facebook. That's the biggest fear on planet Earth. Wow. 
And you want to talk about first world problem. Like we were having that conversation about first world problems. Exactly. Somehow yeah. I think I'd be more afraid of being hunted down by a bear when I'm out camping than, yeah. you know, being unfriended on Facebook. But it goes to show you how much we base our happiness and our worth based on what somebody else thinks about us. Absolutely. So linking that to, to your question about that it is how did we survive? So we weren't the fastest, we weren't the strongest, we weren't the fiercest. When people quote the work of Charles Darwin and talk about survival of the fittest, they often quote it wrong. Charles Darwin didn't describe humans through that process. When he talked about human beings, he talked about the survival of, of the species that learned to cooperate. And that's what we did. We saw cooperation as hardwired into us as human beings. We need community. We need to be linked to a tribe or to an organization, uh, a family, whatever words you want to use, but we need that community of people. Therefore, when somebody says, I don't want to be your friend any longer, somebody judges your words, judges your language, all of this goes back to our evolutionary process and we get all of the negative stuff mm -hmm. that, that we would have got when we were being attacked by a bear. So our body and our brain responds at that level. Wow. Wow. So what do you do about it is the next question. Yeah. One thing I want to say, I'll stop you for one moment. For yeah. A big thing that jumped out at me though, the very first thing you said, fear yeah. is based on emotions. Yes. And when you break it down like that, it makes sense to me because I'm like, okay, I can control my emotions. That yes. way I can now be empowered to go do something instead of I'm fearful and I'm stuck. Like you said, that fight, flight, or freeze. So many yes. of us fear that we're in that freeze when you yes. actually break it down and think, no, it's an emotion. You actually That's have more power than you're giving yourself credit for. Absolutely. And you need, people, one of the most empowering things people can learn is that we were emotional species that learned to think. Mm -hmm. So our emotions came first in our evolutionary process, then we learned to think. And, and in fact, right now, our brain can't out-respond emotions. So you can't think your way out of an emotional space. You need to learn to manage to live with and to utilize that emotion. So what is it useful for is a great question to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. you know, it's it, one of the worst things I think that we can say to people with fear, uh, any kind of fear, whether a big fear of public speaking or fear of something much more severe, then to say just face your fear, I think is one of the absolute worst things you can say to people. Mm -hmm. People need to know how. Yes. Because they end up again in a cycle of, I'm a failure, I've tried to do it, this is what people tell me to do, etc. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you Google search facing your fear, one of the first things that's going to come up is a recommendation that you uh, in, embark upon a process of creating a ladder of fear and starting with the smallest part of it, build it up, etc. Et uh, and that's all based on, on clinical mental health work. It's not based on the experiences of the broader general population. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's a way of gradually exposing you to your fear. But sometimes you don't have that choice. You can't gradually expose somebody 
to flying on an airplane. Right. What do you do? You've either got to do it or you, or you don't. That, that's it. Right. Right. So these simplistic answers to face and fear are, I think, often unhelpful. Totally. And we see that in so many areas of our life. It's interesting you bring up mental health. It's like people with depression. They say, well, just why can't you be happy? Go outside, take a walk, you'll feel better. You know, grief, if someone's grieving over someone they've lost a year ago. Oh, well, you lost them a year ago. You know, it's not like that happened recently. Like we, we do that. We generalize these things in our life and we generalize other people's emotions when we really Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 So the, the key to dealing with this is to is absolutely seated in our biology and learning to use your biology well so understanding how the brain works and how, understanding how you can trick the brain to respond in a completely different way and it all links again to our evolutionary process and i must take a bit of a sidestep and say if, if anybody's listening or watching this and, and they don't believe in evolution and i know a large proportion of people don't. I apologize, but this is my way of explaining it. There's no intention to offend anybody who's a creationist. But the process still exists, even if you don't believe the pathway is the right way to understand how human beings got to this stage, the brain still works this way. So this, this deep-seated need to be connected to one another is really a fairly recent understanding and comes from the work of uh, some researchers in the University of Virginia in the USA. Uh, and it's something called social baseline theory. And social baseline theory tells us how we as human beings react around other human beings, how we deeply need that connection, as I said earlier. Mm. And it started with a really weird question, which was why did human beings evolve to hold hands? Um, because really, if you think about it, there's not a great need for it, but in every culture, people do. They hold hands all the time. Uh, and it's a massive body of work, but I'll really quickly encapsulate some of the, the key findings of it, which is if you and I are in love with one another and you are in pain, you, you, the pain receptors in your brain will be going off. And as I watch you in pain, exactly the same pain receptors will go off in my brain. I may not feel the level of pain you feel, but the brain will react in exactly the same way. But if we hold hands, both our brains quieten down. So the act of holding hands actually calms the human mind. Wow. So this is why people talk about things like, I walk on the beach with my partner and I hold a hand and, and I feel at peace. It's because the brain literally settles as you hold hands with somebody you love. Mm. And what social baseline theory has, has taught us is that humans are driven by the desire to help and assist and commit to others. Again, you and I just talked about that a few minutes ago, how serving others matters. Uh, and serving others actually increases our well-being. Yeah. So linking all of this and coming circle, in circle with it, one of the things that works with facing fear is to ask, why do I want to face fear? Mm -hmm. And if it's, if it's for my personal well-being, for my grand, you know, creating a grand experience for myself, earning more money, having a better job, all of that will cause me to commit at a certain level. But if it's to do it for somebody that I love, 
to make my wife's experience of life better, to do it for my children. I'll go that extra mile. I'll push myself harder. Mm. So if you were wanting to face a fear of yours to, for example, say you were worried about what other people might say about you. And I said, this will make your child's experience better. If you do this, you'll be a great role model for your son. You're more likely to do it than if it's for you. Mm. So one of the cornerstones of facing fear is to say, who will benefit from this other than myself? Who am I doing it for? Wow. That gave me goosebumps. Even, you know, being a mom, when you talked about that for your son, you know, what kind of role modeling, what will they see of you? It's like almost that unspoken. We worry so much about what we say to our kids or what we say to other people. And it's like demonstrate and show that serves such a bigger purpose and sends such a bigger message when you actually go and do. Like that gave me goosebumps when you said that. You know, and I would say, yeah. I, w- I would say that also we, as coaches, we often get this wrong too. So in the West, we've been taught to set individual goals. So what are your goals, Lisa? You know, what are your goals, Billy? What are your goals, Wendy? What are you committed to? If you link goals to who else will benefit, who do you love who will benefit from this, you're 68% more likely to be successful with that goal. It it really has a huge impact upon us as human beings. So... If, if you want to face a difficult situation, you want to face a challenge, who else will benefit from this? Who do you love whose life will it be improved because you did this? Yeah. And worst case scenario. So say you're like, okay, I'm going to improve my son's life. Yeah. I'm going to go. I'm ready. You go. You do. And you fall flat on your face. Awesome. Then- it's brilliant if you do that. It's absolutely fantastic. You, we, there's a concept called Cobb's Learning Cycle. Mm. And Cobb's Learning Cycle is drawn from the education field. And it's a very quick and easy way to understand how human beings learn. You, you make a plan, you take some action, you get a result, and from that you've got new knowledge. Uh, and the, the result doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just information, and you've gained new knowledge. But the trick, again, is to use our biology. So when we talk about negative emotions, or we talk about fear, anger, frustration, all of that lump in at one, it's exactly the same if you lump positive emotions into one. And only very recently have we actually understood the, the science of positive emotions. So what we, we've known for decades about all those biological and psychological responses to negative emotions but only in the last 10 to 15 years have we understood what happens to our body when we feel positive emotions and i've got to say it's somebody from your original neck of the woods so a researcher from pennsylvania has really kind of pushed this this understanding um and i think i also owe you an apology because when i was talking earlier i got philadelphia and pennsylvania mixed up so yeah 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 yeah. Uh, so america all just lumps into one in my head (laughs) but what this research has done is uh, she's been able to show that exactly the opposite happens to your body and your brain when you experience positive emotions Mm. so when you experience a positive emotion 
your heart rate drops, your blood pressure drops, your pulse drops, mm. your, your peripheral vision literally broadens out so you can actually seriously physically see more. But your brain sees new things in a different way. Your brain sees new things as opportunities to learn. Your brain sees new things, and it will take the information on much more rapidly. It'll actually say, I'm going to hang on to that. Mm. So if you fail, if you stumble on the way, you need to pause and recall a positive emotion. Because again, our brain is not as sophisticated as people think. It can't tell the difference between a real event and a made-up one. So yeah, when people talk about visualization, this is what they're doing. They're tapping into your biology. So you, you focus on a positive past event, you relive it. What, what was happening there? Who was there? What did it smell like? What did it sound like? Then you look at your new learning. But you get yourself into the positive space first. You only need to do it for two or three minutes. Whilst we're talking about that, it, um, there's been multiple research projects done around exactly that. And if you start your working day by just focusing on a positive event in your life and talking to another human being about it, GPs, general practitioners in, in medical centres, they report being 38% more accurate with their diagnosis. They see more clients in a day. They use more alternative rather than traditional interventions. All of that cuts across every professional experience. So this has a massive effect on us as human beings, and it lasts all day long if you start your day that way. This and is it's, it's free, which I think is amazing, right? People, it's like they worry they got to spend all this money and do all this thing. It's like visualization and starting your day with a positive thought is free yeah. mm -hmm. it's exactly which is why lots of people haven't heard about it because nobody can work out how to sell it to you right you know, <laughs> once we can make an app out of it you'll hear about it all the time there you go right mm -hmm. wow, amazing i love how you're framing that opportunity 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 because that is another big thing people struggle with yeah. in they're comfortable so maybe they're not stuck Maybe they've made some changes and they've gotten to a certain part in their life. They've, get, they've had some success. They have some happiness. Life is fine. Life is okay, right? But deep down, every once in a while, they get that deep-rooted, uh, almost anguish because that misalignment. They're like, is this really it? Is this where I'm supposed to retire in this job? Like... Is this what life is supposed to look like at 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70? But then again, they're like, oh, no, no, I'm comfortable. I think about my lovely parents, blue collar workers from good old Pennsylvania, grew up in the depression, keep your head down, keep your job, don't make waves, clock in, punch in, punch out, you know, just be thankful you have a job. Don't be going and trying to blaze trails and, you know, do anything crazy or outlandish. Yet so many people have that crazy, you know, that actually isn't that crazy, but to other people it seems like a crazy, wild, outlandish idea. So how do you then move from you've had some success, you're comfortable, but now you want to shake things up and you want to get to that next level of your life. How do you move past that fear? So, so it's one of the biggest fears, and I think it's probably one of the most dangerous. I think that comfortable space mm. is far more dangerous than any other space. 
but it's a story. And I think that's the key here. We're a narrative species. We've told our history through story, whether that be in song or poetry or, or literature or sitting around a campfire, we tell stories and we tell stories to ourselves. So the story you've just described of your parents' life is a story. You know, the work is hard. It's a struggle. If you've got a job, you're really lucky. Let's stay with the job. Don't upset the apple cart. All of these sorts of things. I come from a very working class background um, in the UK. Mm. And when I was 14 year old, the teacher stopped the class. And she said, none of you will amount to anything in life. Half of you will go to prison and the other half will spend the rest of your life unemployed. She was, she was beautifully inspirational. She was, <laughs> I was just going to say, wow, she sounds lovely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what you'd want in a young, impressionable mind's, you know, first view when you're learning, right? And the key to this is to go back to what I said about our biology, that I can still recall her words mm. all these decades later mm-hmm. because we remember voices of authority. We remember stories. We can build a picture. And as I talk to you about it, I can start to recall all of the information, who else was there in the room, etc. So you change the story. That's the secret to this. You tell a new story. Uh, and the more you tell your brain a new story, it will find evidence to support that. So if you say it's possible to move in a different direction, other people have done this and they've succeeded, it may be difficult for me, but it's possible to do it. So I'm going to challenge potentially some of of your community's views here. And again, I want to apologize. If people believe in what I'm about to describe, that's okay. Uh, It's not my belief pattern, but you know, I want to describe biology versus mysticism, I guess. So people will talk about the law of attraction. They'll talk about things like the secret, Um, but we can actually explain what happens via biology. You have a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. Mm-hmm. And one of its jobs is to say, what should I be consciously aware of? And what should I be subconsciously aware of? And if, if your brain tried to manage all of the subconscious information in every moment of every day, you'd be overwhelmed. You couldn't do it. All of your five senses are flooding information in your brain right now. So I, I can tap, even via this video link, I can tap into your brain in this second. I can say, I know it's what 25 minutes to seven at night. Uh, you're sitting on a chair. You can feel the discomfort of your bottom on that chair right now. You can feel the contact between your bottom and the chair. I, I don't know if you've got shoes on, but if you have got shoes, you can feel the shoes touching your feet as I start to talk about it. Your brain could feel all of that before, but it was ignoring it. It was saying, listen to this strange man talking through this computer. That's what you need to give priority to right now. But when, when we visualize something, when we, we focus on something, we create an image in our head, we're telling our reticular activating system, now this is important. Pay attention to it. Look for evidence this is right. Mm. So again, another simple example is that that top that also well those earrings that you're wearing very dramatic. Um, and <laughs> it, when you buy them, you think these are the only ones in my town that nobody else has got them like this. 
and then you walk down the street and suddenly you see people wearing them. We've all had that experience. You might not have bought those earrings, but you do it with a car, you buy a blue Ford, and suddenly you see lots of blue Fords on the road. That, that's your reticular activating system saying, this is now important, look for, look for proof of the same thing. Mm. So if you start to tell yourself, I can succeed, I can achieve, I can move in this direction, your brain will find evidence to support that. It will start to see things. In a, so you start every day by saying, what is it I'm striving towards? Visualize it. And it's not that the universe will provide. It's, by, it's simple biology. Your brain sees opportunities to move in that direction. So that's how you un un overcome the stuckness mm. is by telling your brain to look for pathways forward. I love that. And I love that that's biology and science based because I have a lot of people that are like, oh, meditate. That's too airy fairy. Yeah. Oh, visualize. That's for the hooky people. Like for so many people, it just feels so out of reach because maybe it's not their personality, but it's like, you got to make it part of yeah. your personality if you want to see the benefits of it. Right. And that's a piece of Maybe not fear, but just trying something different to get a different result. If you're sitting there going, yeah, 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 visualization, that sounds nice, but it'll never work for me. It's like, try it, you know, before, try it before you knock it, right? Absolutely, Lisa. So we know it works. And I don't care whether you believe it's the universe that's providing this or you accept it's a science. It works. Mm -hmm. And it works all the time. And I can just give you masses and masses of of silly little examples you know so you decide you're going to be a ballerina uh, and you're going to be a world-class ballerina and you fly to boston and you'll start seeing things related to being a ballerina you start noticing it it's not that they're any more prominent it's that you're telling your brain to focus on that so you find pathways to go in that direction you, you know people often talk about i thought about a particular friend and then suddenly something happened where that friend came in my life mm -hmm. it's it's that your brain is being told so you can master your brain you're not your thoughts yeah and and you can sit back and you can actually think what am i thinking right now which tells you that there's something behind that mm. and what we're using is that part of the brain we're using that bit behind to master this now I, i've taught buddhist monks this I, i've i was blessed to teach in a, a buddhist temple and you know, they get the signs too. So they, they have their faith, they have their belief, but they also get the signs. Mm. So it's okay to believe it from any pathway, just know it works. Totally, and it's so empowering again to realize that your thoughts either, as you talked about, narrow your yes. focus or open, narrow to the problem or open to the world of opportunity. It's like you That's choose, right? You choose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can choose it in a heartbeat, Lisa. So you just choose it by, by recalling a positive event in your life. And again, my, my major working life has been in the, the mental health field. And I've worked with people with severe mental illness. Uh, so people say, Alex, I can't do this. Well, I've worked with people with diagnosis of schizophrenia who are really struggling in life and taught them to do this. I've worked with people with major depression and taught them to do this. Mm -hmm. I've worked with extremely psychotic 
people and taught them to do it. If they can do it, so can anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, with all of the disordered thought patterns that go with mental illness, they can still find a route to this. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, you know, sometimes you'll meet people who say, well, I've never had a positive life event. You know, there's nothing really good happened in my life, Alex. I don't believe them, but some people say that. But make it up, make it up. Again, the brain can't tell the difference between a real event and a made-up event. So you imagine it, you're you're playing a movie in your head of a positive life experience. If you do that just for two minutes every day, your whole life changes. Wow, wow, that is some super powerful stuff. Okay, I have one more question for you. Although I think I could talk to you for hours. This is so good. Oh my goodness. So going the opposite direction then, the young kids these days are talking about this whole FOMO principle, you know, fear of missing out. So I think what that sometimes creates in us is this people pleaser. They say yes to everyone, yes to everything, yes to things that, take them off their path, right? Or really um, good people that are efficient and are good at what they do, yet they maybe have that higher purpose. They get called into every opportunity because they say yes to everything and it actually gets them off path from what they're really trying to achieve. It pulls them away from their family. It stops them from getting that promotion. You know, they they don't fall in love with the woman, their man, they were meant to fall in love with because they dated all these people that were terrible for them or whatever, right? Whatever you can relate it to. So how do you get over that fear of missing out or that saying that people pleasing, you don't want to, again, that goes back to that social proof of wanting to be liked. So we say yes to everyone because we want everyone to like us. How do you get over that sort of emotions and those sorts of things? Well, well, again, I would link this back to, first of all, understanding why you experience it. So the the reason I keep going back to that is because we shouldn't beat ourselves up for having these experiences. We all experience it. It's part of being a human being. And and what I said about uh, teaching Buddhist monks, even they have these experiences. You know, so they have decades of trying to focus on different things, but still get trapped by who we are as a human being. So my first point is, if you experience this, if you're listening to this and and that's you, hey, that's everybody, it's okay. Uh, You can do something about it, but don't punish yourself for having gone down that route, it's perfectly all right. Mm -hmm. And, And what you do about it is become on purpose. So focusing on what you are here for, and, and, you know, you're going to, anybody that's looked at personal development stuff will be familiar with phrases like follow your bliss, follow your passion, etc., etc. The big challenge, um, and I've written about this too, is, is how, how do you know what it is? Where, where does it come from? You know, does some deity reach down and drop it in your lap or you're born with your passion? Where does it come from? And the reality is you create it. You, you find something that makes sense to you, some way that you want to serve. So again, serving is crucial here, that we know people who do things for others, for their ben- the other person's benefit, not your own. You live longer, you have a healthier life, you live on average about 14 or 15 years longer, and you're not wishing you were dead in that point in time, you quality of life right yes it's completely different so 
you need to find your passion, create your passion, create your mission in life, and then say no to everything around that. So ask yourself, does it take me towards what is my mission, my purpose, my passion, whatever language you want to use? And if the answer is no, you don't do it. And through that, you will draw around you people like yourself, people who come into your life to support you on that journey. And they're the real people that you need to be connected to. So you don't lose people. You actually attract the right people in by being focused on what really matters. Ah, that's huge. That's huge. Wow. 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 And nothing that you said, I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like I could go out. It's 646 here right now. And at 647, I can go and start visualizing, finding out my purpose, digging deep for my why, creating those positive opportunities in my brain. Like you can take action and go and do that right now. And and that's massively so. That's so important because if I say you need to just face your fears, you need to just man up and go and do it. It's like, well, no, I, I don't know. I can't. But if we flip it and say, look, start experiencing life in a positive way, yeah. and that will open the pathway for you to move forward. I, I can do that. Yeah. That's not a problem to me. And so, it goes back to that. Oh, sorry. I'm terribly sorry. It goes back to that service of others, empathy of others. Like if you were to say to me, oh, Lisa, just go and face your fears. I would almost feel like you're judging me. Like my fears aren't real. My fears are, like it's almost like you're minimalizing people when you say to people, oh, just go and face your fear. Like it's not that big a deal. Where to that person, it may be a very real big deal. Um, So it goes back to just that having that human connection to give people those actionable things that don't minimize them, that empathizes them. Almost like you said, you're not alone. We've all felt like that. We've all had those experiences. And that goes back to that connection of bringing people together to realize we all struggle, but we all have a choice to to succeed as well, right? And we witnessed it firsthand uh, a month or so ago. So the two of us were at an event in the USA and a woman got up to speak And she was saying she was really afraid of speaking publicly and she only had three minutes to speak. And I can see her in my mind and the fear and the anxiety that existed for, but she's an incredible high achiever. She's done amazing things in life. She's been a hugely successful business person. Uh, In terms of Western ways of judging success, she can tick every box, but she still faces fear. She still has anxiety. She still worries about other things. Uh, and that's key to this is it doesn't ever go away you never become fearless anybody that says they're fearless is a liar it's simply not true you learn to use your emotions positively you you accept it and then you move forward and part of that is is it's a little bit like the difference between light and dark that you don't get rid of darkness by having more you, you flick a light switch and out comes the, the light, which dis- dissipates it for a while. And, and we're, we're doing that with our positive emotions. We're dissipating the fear for a while. It will come back, and that's okay. But we can always flick that light switch and bring the positive emotion back on, which helps us deal with this moment. Wow. Yes, absolutely. I am digging everything you're saying, Alex. And, and it's just, oh, 
it's just so amazing to hear you break it down in such actionable items for people to, to chip away at it, but in, in bite-sized pieces, right? And that's just what I think we need nowadays. We're so inundated with information or we're inundated with the airy fairy stuff or the poo poo stuff, like just get over it, just do this, just do that. It's like, no, you're like, these are the steps to face your fear. And you know, the stuff I'm saying is not amazing. You already know it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we, as adults, when we start focusing on facing our fears, we'll do things, silly things that like we'll jump on Google and we search, how do you face <laughs> your fear? We'll get all sorts of advice from weird people from around the world. You know, but going back to what I said earlier about holding hands and not calming the brain down, you do that with your child. When your, your child is fearful of going to school for the first time, you, you hold the hand. Yeah. You know, why shouldn't we use that as an adult? Every day that I'm at home, I walk on the beach holding hands with my wife. And so I integrate this into my life too. Mm. It, it calms the brain down. It helps you settle, it helps you face any challenge. So on the beach, we hold hands, we walk, we talk about what are the challenges that are ahead yeah. and do it from a space of calmness. Yeah. So we plan ahead from that biological calmness. But as I said, you already know that. This is just instinctive for human beings, but we override it, we outthink this. Mm -hmm. uh, so go back to being a real human being. Hold yeah. your hand with, with somebody who you love when you're facing fear and you're much more likely to be successful. I love that. It's like work with your body. Your body knows what to do. Just listen to yeah. it, trust it and work yeah. with it, right? Yeah. So I said I, that was my last question, but I lied. I have another question. <laughs> That's cool. no so what is the scariest thing or the most fearful thing you've ever done in your life and how did you overcome it? Oh, that, that's a beautiful question. And that actually links to the, that teacher who said, you will never amount mm. to anything in your life. Uh, and a number of years ago, I was at um, a, a part of Harvard University. Uh, and I was asked to stand up and talk about why I coach people and what, it, what drove me to be a coach. And I was in the room of... of people, sorry, in the room with people who are heroes of mine, who I've admired for years, and I thought, in my head, they were all so much further advanced than I was. And as I, I got up to speak, I started to, to I practice the speech, which is not my natural style, I, I prefer just to talk. I started to stumble, I started to, to really struggle. And then I went back to, I thought, well, what do you really know? You know your story. So I told my story uh, and I told the story of that teacher and I said, my mission in life is to challenge those stories in people's heads, mm -hmm. to allow everybody to believe that they don't have to listen to those negative voices. Mm -hmm. And I did that from thinking again about my wife, that you know, if I do this well, it will open doorways that will allow her to lead a better life. And as I shared with you earlier, we got to the stage last year where I was able to say to her, you never have to work again yeah. in your life. So none of this is for me. It's all about her, which helps me keep going through it. 
And I must say to you that at the end of talking at, at that particular event in Harvard, this woman from New York came up and she gave me a huge hug. And she said, thank you for reminding everybody of the basics of life. Um, and again, that human contact, it makes a massive difference for us. Absolutely. And you never know who you're impacting. When That's you're right. Exactly. Those things. Yes. And this quote I have here for you, your closing words, life is about being the best version of you. And just because someone else says you should do this or do that, to be, fear, to be fearless about this or that, doesn't necessarily make it true. So what a beautiful, tell me, tell me a little bit more. We'll, we'll close. Tell me a little bit more about why that means so much to you, those words. It, it means everything to me. So, you know, I, I think we spend so much of our life trying to be what we believe other people think we should be. Mm -hmm. uh, in my working life, I've had the absolute honor of sitting with a number of people who've died, literally at the moment they've died. Uh, and none of them have said, I wish I was more like my neighbor. None of them said, I, I wish I was more like a movie star. Or They all say, I wish I'd done what I really wanted to do with my life. Uh, and I intend to live my life that way. That, you know, I, I absolutely, I want to keep my wife's life fantastic. I want my children to have an awesome life. But I want to be an inspiration to all those people by being me. Uh, and that's ultimately our greatest mission in life is to be you. Bring the gift to the world that you were meant to bring. Yes, yes. And this is a very muted side of you, actually. I'm just getting to know you, but I'll share a super quick story that at that mastermind event, Alex and I are in a mastermind together. And we were given this activity where we were to answer these, you know, six questions or so, that three-minute activity you were talking about earlier that our, our, our friend was so afraid to speak at. And Alex gets up and he's like, I'm not answering this. I'm not doing that. This is my three minutes on the microphone. So I'm going to tell you what I think and my message that I want to spread. And at first, I got to say, I was like, oh, how's this going to go over? This is either going to go really good or really bad, right? But then everyone was like, wow, he got up there. He lived his purpose. He lived his mission. You stayed true to your story. That's the message you wanted to spread in that moment. And so you should. So that was just a beautiful, again, you're, it's just living proof to me that you are living everything we just talked about in this last awesome. 45 minutes to an hour together. So thank you for being you and thank you for being such an authentic voice in this world because we need more of that for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's a beautiful, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm quite touched by that so thank you <laughs> you're welcome so if anybody would like to get in touch with Alex please contact me I would be happy to pass on his email he as you can see he's a wealth of incredible knowledge he is an amazing amazing coach speaker author all of that amazing stuff and Alex thank you so much for spending this time with me I know you're such a busy guy and I don't ever want to take away those long walks on the beach yeah. with your wife, right but you did tell me that you're in Australia yes so yes, yeah. it is, uh, any of our East Coast people here it is actually Saturday morning at 8 a.m. in Australia so we were joking that we will live to see another day Alex is proof right now that you will. <laughs> and the sun's shining it's a beautiful new day 
There we go. So well, we hope that we'll live to see another day. God willing, but another day does exist out there. So exactly. there you have it. So go out, be you, be authentically you. Visualize exactly what you want in your life. Create those positive feelings and emotions and know that you can do whatever the heck it is that you want to do. So that is our latest episode on The Empowered Life. And we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Empowered Life Podcast. For more free business and health training, go to www.lisapizik.com.